the old pilot's plane tales. The sensory pilot. The world of a pilot is different to any other. They see things from a different perspective and view the world from places that even the mightiest birds cannot reach. All their faculties of sight, smell, taste, touch and hearing experience sensations unique to their position, whether they're maneuvering a mighty airliner or sliding through the air on sheets of silk in a slippery sailplane. When they get the chance, even the most professional and conscientious pilots will take a moment to marvel at their world. These are treasured moments that they will lock in their hearts and only bring out in quiet moments of contemplation. Perhaps when they look back and realize what a life of wonder they have led. The crew and I have put together some of our most precious memories, but I'm sure you'll have some of your own. I always loved the comforting sounds of the gear coming up as huge hydraulic jacks powered up, releasing the downlocks and then heaving the tons of gleaming metal upwards towards the aircraft's belly. Each component was compressed, shrinking down as the huge mass whirred, bumped and lumped into place, especially the nose gear just behind us that we could feel thump into its bay with a grind of the rubbing strip, gently slowing the wheels to a stop. And as it all finished, the doors would slip back into place, sealing off the gaping caverns that housed it all, and the cacophony would subside, to be replaced by the quiet whisper of the airflow, smooth again. So familiar were we with that cadence that a disruption in the flow of noise would immediately bring a glance across the flight deck with a wrinkle of the brow and a question on the lips well before the clang of an alarm confirmed our concerns. The urgent clanging of alarms as a failure is detected and displayed brings dramatic changes from relaxed to alert as a surge of adrenaline heightens all our senses and slows time to a crawl. The noise triggers a Pavlovian response that, in retrospect, will be described as our training kicking in. As we start a well-practiced performance of calls and actions that we've rarely had to do for real. After all is dealt with, the come down, the extra fatigue, the nervous laughs and hesitant smiles from the rest of the crew as everyone looks for reassurance. Aviation has its own special larder of odours and smells that register in the olfactory bulb, which is a part of the limbic system of the brain. 
the limbic system or paleomammalian cortex if you prefer, is involved in lower order emotional processing of input from sensory systems. As such, they're closely associated with emotion, motivation, learning and memory and can evoke a strong response in our bodies being a primary evolutionary sense. Put another way, a smell can evoke long-forgotten memories and intense emotions. Like the cold sharpness of pure oxygen, which could, in an instant, transport me back into the cockpit of a phantom. Pass a whiff of burnt rubber past a pilot's nose and you will send them to the side of a runway, when, with a screech of tyres and a cloud of blue smoke, 16 main wheels of a 747 go from stationary to 170 miles an hour in a second. Other smells are less common, but stick in the memory. The distinct smell of cordite in the cockpit was common to both the Hawker Hunter and the Hornet, as the smoke from firing the cannon would often pass into the intakes and via the pressurization system into the cockpit where a whiff would be sucked into the air and oxygen mix of the regulator. Funnily enough, after the first couple of sniffs it would disappear as if the body ignored it from then on. Less dramatic was the smell of newly mown grass and fresh air on a gliding field. The opposite odour to that of 300 human bodies crammed together in an aluminium tube with a mix of stale perspiration, babies' nappies, digestive gases that are forced from both ends of the alimentary canal, airline food, vomit and every other foul-smelling thing a body can produce from rotten teeth to cheesy feet. There's plenty to feel on an aircraft, and the sense of touch can bring a mix of pleasure and pain. The smoothness of a well-formed grip on the big levers that can summon such immense power it pushes hard on the chest. The pleasingly precise click of good switches, and the frown of displeasure that sloppy worn ones bring. A simple button press, a lever sliding out of a gate, the instant feeling of response when a gentle input brings an expected burble of air brakes, the tick down on the rate of descent needle and quiver of the airspeed indicator, the annoyed exclamation when, yet again, a balding head draws blood as it scrapes the overhead panel, despite having such an intimate knowledge of the workplace, no end of practice makes perfect. RAF flying gloves were the ultimate feel-good factor. Crafted from fine calf leather, they fitted like, well, like a glove. Pure white, they were soon stained by the sweaty work of flying a fighter, and the fingertips worn down, but they protected the hands from cuts and grazes and worst, should fire be a factor. In cold weather, the silk inner gloves were available, a double layer of slippery fabric as fine as the silk lingerie of the fifties. 
In contrast, the dreaded immersion flying suit was uncomfortable and hot, made from a fabric the fibres of which would swell in contact with the water, making the suit waterproof. It had black rubber cuffs and a neck seal that cut into the skin, so liberal amounts of talcum powder were required to aid donning, leaving one's hair impregnated and looking like a powder-dusted wig. Perhaps our most precious sense is that of sight, and it's often the one that creates much astonishment. When we were new to the job, the sight of the enormous machines we were about to take into the air left us with a feeling of wonderment, such awed admiration of those who built these intricate mechanical marvels that we would take aloft and use to cover vast distances. In them we circled the globe, vistas would unfold before our eyes that took our breath away. The vast golden red of the Sahara Desert, the snowy white mass of the Siberian tundra, the creeping wrinkled glacial rivers of ice in Greenland, the swirling icebergs of the Atlantic, the vast ranges of jagged tooth mountains in the Himalayas, the empty plains of Mongolia, and these were just the sights below us. Clouds provided a never-ending display of natural architecture, from the little streeting cumulus, like a neighbourhood of perfect dream homes, painted brilliant white and surrounded by little picket fences, to towering skyscrapers, each with its own radical design, but topped off with a huge penthouse that stretched away into the distance. And all clouds were common, some lie at heights unachievable for everyday pilots up in the mesosphere, some 50 miles above the Earth's surface. These noctilucent ice layers are night-shining clouds that only occur at high latitudes during astronomical twilight. They shimmer in gentle folds, impossibly high, and somehow exist in a place where there is very little moisture one hundredth of a millionth of the water vapour that exists above the Sahara Desert. To see them is a rare privilege, but there are more common atmospheric tricks up Mother Nature's sleeve that more of us witness. Water in the atmosphere has a lovely trick of refracting light, which our ground-bound brethren see as rainbows arching down to a pot of gold but those lucky enough to catch sight of them from above will see a perfect circle of colour, in the centre of which is the faint shadow of one's aircraft. Should one be fortunate, a beautiful circular rainbow might be coupled with a glory, a series of concentric rings of light which become successively dimmer, often coloured red on the outside, fading to blue in the centre. Named Buddha's halo by some, and termed the glory of pilots by others, two glories appear on the great seal of the United States. At other times, our own clouds that gush from the engines will catch the sun at the right angle, revealing a sight we can never see ourselves. 
Only someone lucky enough to be behind us will be able to marvel at the beauty of its refracted colours. As the sun drops below the Earth's rim, a shadow can be cast through the air that reminds us the sun is done with us and nightfall is coming. Sometimes the moon will lie on it like a gleaming ball rolling down the beautiful curved slope. Sunsets are hardly special to pilots. We can all see those colours blossom upon the horizon as if a million scarlet blooms have ignited. But should you see a special one from the cockpit of a fighter, then light the afterburners and race up into the heavens, challenging the laws of the universe and you can watch it all over again. The sensory pilot's taste usually only stretches to their choice of aircraft. Utilitarian, modern and sleek, warbird, vintage wooden canvas. And a commercial pilot has more to worry about when looking for employment than just what aircraft they're likely to fly. When flying for gain, a professional pilot is expected to turn their hand to any type, but that doesn't mean that they don't develop a fondness for the machines they work with, be it Boeing, Airbus, Bombardier or Embraer. As we know, the big two have swallowed the others. I wonder how that tasted. About the most important taste to a pilot, at least to this one, is that of the cold beer one deserves after a long day in the air. It stands, bubbles gently rising to the head as the sides of the glass frost over with condensation. The taste is amplified by the weight until at the perfect moment one catches a glance and a cheers from the others and with eyes half closed, we let the flavours burst and the amber nectar slip down a dry throat. With a gentle sigh, the tension of the day slips away. The crew had some of their own thoughts and in no particular order. Everyone loves to watch themselves fly, so Flying amongst the canyons and cliffs of clouds has an extra thrill when catching sight of your own shadow nearly merging with your wingtip. It's the same descending into a cloud bank when it seems that you are becoming one with your silhouette. Not many of us throw people out of our aircraft, but it can be a true thrill when it's a wingsuiter who momentarily form mates on the aircraft until they drop out of sight. Jump pilots experience some unique smells. Flying with the doors open means all the flavours of the world beneath can be experienced in a heady mix. Wood burning in a backyard, grilling meat, flowers, crops, industry, a sweet sour mix of the world. Even each aircraft has its own particular smell of human and machine ground into its fabric over the years. When you're flying well, you feel completely in tune with the machine, where to reach without looking, what every control feels like, how far to trim, where to set the throttle, it becomes instinctive. There are so many sounds, the squeals of excitement, joy and terror from new jumpers. 
the tears from those not confident enough to take that last step. There are unmistakable calls and every jumper recognises the shout of DOOR! When jumping, all the flurry of activity, the checking and double-checking is over, and once under the canopy there's a wonderful quiet, with just a backdrop of fluttering material as the slider comes down the lines. Whilst back in the aircraft there's so much radio work, the transmit button leaves the index finger numb, loud and obnoxious, unending chatter from everywhere, all around. Whereas, suspended in space, a dot beneath a fabric wing seemingly suspended over the vast ground below, all is peace. Just the whooshing sensation, half felt, half heard, as the strings are pulled and the loading changes. The gentle whir of the electric gyro in the standby horizon and the muffled sound of random air traffic chatter that can be heard as you first set foot on the flight deck. The refreshing blasts of cold air from the punker louvres, accompanied by clouds of mist that emerge from the cockpit air conditioning in hot, humid countries as you leave the sweet smell of the tropics and move into the exclusive and rarefied air of your workplace. The welcome smell of coffee brewing up in the galley during the dark depths of the night. The unmistakable sound of atmospheric discharges from around the globe propagated by the ionosphere and other noises that have travelled millions of miles through space from the cosmos above that we hear on the long-range HF radios as we listen to our controllers only a few hundred miles away, followed by the distinctive chime of the cell call alert as the radio checks are done. At the end of a long transatlantic crossing, the sudden movement of the RDMI needles as they come into range of the first navades that they have detected and they swing into action after hours of laying dormant. The sound of the slat drive motors as they crank out the leading edge flaps and the distinctive clacking of relays as the electrical buzzes split to protect the autopilot when we press the approach button as the end of another flight draws close. Finally, the comforting clack of the speed brake lever servo moving the handle aft as 16 main wheels gently touch down at our final destination. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. If you enjoy listening to these tales, then it would be great if you could help Plane Tales out by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Many thanks for listening.